Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And in our last episode, uh, episode 15, we talked to a gamer family, and we talked to three gamer girls who were sort of young and -and up-and-coming gamers, and it was pretty exciting to talk to them. One of the questions we asked them were, what were some of their favorite heroes or their favorite hero type uh, to play in their video games? And that inspired Rhonda and I uh, to reminisce a little bit. You got it. (laughs) To get a little into nostalgia and to remember what some of the heroes were that that we loved growing up. And so that's inspired the short for today, where we're going to share some of our classic TV heroes and heroines, some of those characters that kept us sort of moving and shaking and uh, uh, keeping up on our sci-fi worlds and, and dreaming about our own adventures, which, as we've talked about many times before, seem to map into gaming pretty clearly these days. So let's start with, uh, let's see, what what do you have? We, we each have three, so we each have three of our favorites that we're going to talk yeah. about today. So why don't you go ahead and start with your with your number three choice, Rhonda? Yeah, it was it was sort of hard to uh, not not to narrow them down, mm-hmm. but actually to come up with three that I felt like made an impression on me or influenced me in some way. And I, I, I was specifically trying to think of things that got me interested or attracted to science fiction or, or sciences in general. Right. And the my number three choice might be a little surprising, but it's uh, Samantha Stevens on Bewitched. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a show that ran um, in the 60s and 70s. And um, I looked up, some trivia and actually it was one of the longest running supernatural series of those decades oh i didn't know that isn't that interesting but But i know they worked through two darrens so (laughs) yes they did (laughs) so that might be an indication of exactly how long it was running if you look at the pilot episode um, there's not a lot to speak toward uh, (laughs) female empowerment (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was very much you know, there's a certain way that a woman acts when she's a wife. You, you're right. a housewife. You cook, yeah. and you kind of serve your man. And I find it very interesting as, as their show progressed. That's not particularly the way I remember that show. Yeah, I don't remember that either as much as I remember her sort of working to make the family work. Co- correct. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in the pilot that they actually mention um, the word prejudice, Hmm. uh, people being prejudiced against witches. But at the same time, it always seemed like that Samantha was trying to deny who she was. Mm -hmm. And Darren was in support of that, that, you know, you have to get this under control, which is, which is not a very good message. Although, they tackled uh, prejudice and bigotry on the show quite right. quite literally on, on several episodes. But part of that, why I found that charming is because she always seemed to be the smartest person in the situation. <laughs> she was extremely mischievous. Yep. Right. But yeah. at the same time, you, you couldn't dislike her. Right. And she always had the last word, whether right. anybody else knew it or not. 
she usually had the last word. Right, right. And, and she was and, able to work the situation so that yes. so that they they came out to the best, not, not you know, in a selfish way, but really in sort no. of that, like you said, in, in the traditional sort of gender roles of the time to support the family and to support them, you know, having the life that they wanted. Yeah. She sort of, I think, but later on in the show, it became, from my perspective, I, I, I really haven't done any research on, on what their goals were with the mm-hmm. show, but she really was bridging a gap between two prejudices. Mm-hmm. The, her mother, who was prejudiced against mortals, right. and really her husband, who was prejudiced against witches. Mm-hmm. And she was in between both worlds, right. and she forced the two of them she, she didn't give in to either right right and they're just she just had a great sense to me of quiet empowerment right exactly exactly and it was extremely respectful um she was respectful of others and that caused them to be respectful of her right right and and i i like the way you you characterize that because we we often think of of our heroes as needing to be these extraordinarily large personalities. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the big, you know, the hero that goes off on the journey and leaves to save, you know, the town or, or whatever our traditional ideas are about what it means to be a hero. And I think from what I know of, of both of our lists, we're going to kind of play with those ideas here because a lot of the people we have are not necessarily those types of heroes, but but they still perform the same basic ideas they still do the same the same things right. that 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 we would want and we need our hero and like you said that we identify with so i can i can appreciate that from samantha uh, so what's your number three so my number three is is probably going to be the most um the most telling <laughs> and perhaps the most controversial hmm. of my three um, should we pause and let our audience guess <laughs> I wonder who Regina might have selected for number three. Um, actually, a lot of people who know me well might think that this character should be higher on my list. But <laughs> I selected Wesley Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> okay. Played by the one and only uh, Will Wheaton. <laughs> now, what is it about It's about Wesley? Because it's not it's Will not Wheaton. Will you're, Wheaton. Picking. you're picking Wes. Right. I'm picking Wesley Crusher, the character. I... I, I think I've mentioned this a little bit on the show, but I'm not. But I'm not sure. I'm I'm very much the youngest in my family. Um, my brothers are 20 years older than I am. So, and I'm the only girl. So I have three brothers who are 17, 19, and 21 years older than me. All right. <laughs> so. I identified with Wesley in terms of him being that age and surrounded by adults mm. oh, and, yeah. and being precocious and being intelligent because those were characteristics I also had. So, so he was in situations that were very similar to me. And he had also, you know, his character had lost his dad, like I had lost my dad. Um, actually, I started watching um, The Next Generation. That was one of the last things I remember doing with my dad was watching that show as it came out, hmm. that first season, because my dad died in 1988. And um, it, it, that show was showing, and I, I remember watching the episodes with my dad. So I have a lot of sort of that family stuff wrapped up in watching 
watching that show and watching Wesley. And I know that a lot of the traditional Trek fans and, and Trekkies or Trekkers or whatever they want to call themselves, you know, which I include myself in. I'm definitely a Trek fan didn't like Wesley because of the way he was written <laughs> a lot of the time. Right. This little Weasley kid who saved the ship and was sent on, you know, missions that were probably things that he shouldn't have been doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I can appreciate that. But there was something in that for me in terms of watching another person who was around my age be that same kind of character and, and be able to do it with a certain amount of grace and, and humility, which, which I learned from, from sort of watching and, and took as sort of lessons for, for, for that. So, so that was part of why, why Wesley Crusher sort of always resonated with me. And it's just a bonus, really. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that Will Wheaton is, you know, is a gamer and is sort of, you know, the, the, um, I don't know, I, he's had a couple of different nicknames, the king of the gamers or whatever you want to call him. That it's just a bonus that he's, he was acted by, that Wesley Crusher was acted by Will Wheaton. That's just a nice little sort of connection. <laughs> well, he was forced into, pretty much an adult situation because you really don't see that many kids on the enterprise right. and that, but they still confronted situations akin to his age. Right. But for you to be, have a situation where the, the same demographics applied to you, I mean, that would have been such a rare occurrence. I mean, Absolutely. there's so much family unity on television. Right, right. Yeah, and that the siblings are all the same age, and you're looking at these families that mm-hmm. that never reflected the family that I had at, at all. Yeah. And, and, and even still, you know, Wesley's an, an only child. And in a lot of ways, I was an only child. I didn't grow up with oh, siblings yeah. in terms of, you know, we were in school together um, or anything like that, and there was no competition for toys or, you know, any of that. So I really grew up as an only child and the youngest all at the same time. And and I, and being, you know, spending time with my brothers was spending time with adults as opposed to, you know, spending yeah. time with other kids. And even, even in my extended family, in terms of my cousins, I am in between the two generations of my cousins. So my first cousins are my brother's age and my second cousins are two or three years younger than I am. So there, I was really like... I was really isolated (laughs) and really the only child for a long time in terms of, of the family structure, even like the extended family structure. So that, that all just, just brought seeing him in that situation. I'm like, Oh, I understand this. And I understand some of these reactions and that desire you have at that age to want to be, you want to be an adult, but you also still want to be a child at the same time and how difficult that can be when you're the only person that age around so it it really did it really did sort of hold a special place for me and it didn't have um the writing you mentioned before about some of the people having issues with the writing Mm -hmm. did that was that a bother for you at the time not at the time i mean i I didn't see the stories that way i mean i just always was like I, i didn't critique it the way that other people looking at it adults would have looked at it and seen it i didn't critique it that way i just saw somebody who was doing really the best in the situation that he had been given. Mm. And truly, yeah. if, if any if anything a hero should do, that's what heroes should do. They should do the yeah, best with that's, what they're provided. That's actually a really good insight. That's yeah. that's the way I would put it too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so Wesley Crusher for my third and Samantha Stevens for yours. So what's your second? Well my second one is Will Robinson from Lost in Space. Oh excellent. Yeah it the the women on the show were um, pretty benign. Mm-hmm. They were 
observers and victims. Mm-hmm. Um, they really never did any significant work. Uh, I watched an episode or two yesterday, and they were cooking and cleaning and fixing their hair. <laughs> Um, and Penny was playing. Yeah. Penny just goes outside and plays. Right. And it was there was a very interesting scene. The all of the men, including Will, the mm-hmm. absolute youngest in the family, mm-hmm. were all out setting explosives. And Penny walks up, who is older than her brother, mm-hmm. and they're like, "This is too dangerous for you. You need to get out of here." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Hmm." Obviously, it's too dangerous because she's a girl, not because she's young. Right. Because Will is younger than her. But he's sitting there playing with explosives with his dad. (laughs) (laughs) But at the age that I was watching the show, I was closer to Will's age. Right. And there were two things that fascinated me. Number one, that it was in space. Right. I, I just was enamored with the idea of traveling through space. I was like, well, that's a cool idea. That would be neat. And the second thing was that they they traveled as a family. Absolutely everyone was included. Right, right. There was no one left out. And I'm like, gosh, they're all there together, even women. Right. So even if the women didn't have significant jobs or, or roles on the show, they, they were, were included there. in the trip. Right, right. Yeah. And that's and that's really those are really the foundations of, you know, the, sort of the stepping stones or the building blocks to some of the more powerful female-centered hero characters that we have now. Yeah. Where where they they had to they had to get in space first. <laughs> and then we can yeah. have Ripley, right? <laughs> <laughs> One small step. <laughs> exactly, you know, and and that really is. And and it's natural I think the way the the progressions of the stereotypes and the way they changed, I think it was important to, to, to make it move that way, to, to have it move where, where it was still the same roles. It's just they're doing the same roles in these extraordinary places. Yeah. So, and now that, that was one of the things about um, the original series of Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry wanted Majel Barrett to be the Spock character. She wanted her, her to be the second in command. Oh yeah, and and it was just outright rejected by by everybody who watched it. Even the women were like, "Who does she think she is?" Yeah. So so it was too too much too soon, and so I think that that's you know those kinds of characters and moving the the roles into like I said those extraordinary circumstances are part of what sort of molded us into it. Yeah. Well, the thing I liked about Will was that um, he was precocious. Mm-hmm. He. His best friend was a robot, which wouldn't we all like to have the best friend of a robot? (laughs) He did get to work and tweak and uh, mechanically engineer all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. He went on adventures, but he also questioned authority. Mm -hmm. He was always talking back to Dr. Smith. He was always correcting him, pointing out his flaws, telling him when he was morally inappropriate. Mm -hmm. He didn't take things at face value. um, Be quiet, sit still, you're a kid. Right, right, right. But at the same time, he was respectful of the limits of the environment and to an extent the dangers of the environment, Mm -hmm. but at the same time willing to go out and explore Explore, and absolutely enjoy the situation that he was in. Right. So to see a see a kid 
free to do adventure and to express himself was was just a big deal to me and right. to do it in space right. with a robot. <laughs> Talk about the trifecta there. Yep. <laughs> You've got a great location, a great main character, and a great sidekick. So, yep. <laughs> and an adventure all, all, all packaged into one. Those are sort of the best, the best characteristics of a hero's adventure in general. So what about your second choice? So my second choice um, uh, comes from a show that I watched a lot as a kid and, um, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this one. <laughs> wow, it's got a. It, I can't imagine what it could be. I know for, for a geek to be embarrassed right. by <laughs> well, any choice. You know, Wesley Crusher is a little embarrassing too. But um, but my second choice is Miss Piggy from The Muppets. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Because, you know, she does count as science fiction because there is, of course, pigs in space. Pigs in space. I love that. I I love the Muppets. In fact, my first first Halloween costumes as a kid, my mom made me Kermit first. I was Kermit when I was like three. And she made a full-on costume uh, for me. And then my second costume the next year was Miss Piggy. Oh wow! Very so, good. Yeah, those were those were my. I'll see if I can find. I think I don't think I have any pictures of the Miss Piggy one, but I have some great oh. pictures of the one my mom made of um, uh, Kermit the Frog. But um, I always love Miss Piggy because. I mean, she's so bossy. (laughs) She's so self-centered and so narcissistic, but she always uh, was willing to put herself out there for what she wanted. Yeah. You know, always willing to, to make it known what she wanted and, and in a, you know, in a very uh, overt way. (laughs) Yeah. But she was, she was fairly self-assured. She was exactly. She always had the confidence that she would get what she wanted and that she could put herself out there and that, you know, she would, you know, dance with whoever she wanted to dance with and that everybody would love her and all those wonderful things that, that are Miss Piggy. So, uh, she always held that sort of, uh, ideal for me of the best of what self-assurance has to sort of offer you. <laughs> now, what role did she play in uh, Pigs on, in Space? Oh, God, I'm not sure if I can remember off the top of my head. I think she was... Was she the captain? No, no, it was... Um, oh, I just watched Oh, clip. yeah, it I was, remember now. It was the guy who was the, the captain. Um, yeah. I can't remember. I remember he had the was. longer face. Yeah, he had the longer yeah. face and a larger okay. snout. And I think she was sort of Ohura's uh, position yeah. where she was like the, the communications officer and, you know, and the, you know, and they acknowledge the narrator and all kinds of crazy stuff in that. Yeah. In that in She's, she was not a force to be ignored, though. No, she was not. She was not. And she was, she was always, you know, always a force to be reckoned with for sure. There was, there yeah. was no missing Miss Piggy. No matter what role she had or what, you know, uh, things she was doing on the show, there was just no way to sort of ignore her. And when my mom put the costume together, she got a really big curly blonde wig for me and she put the pig ears in it and, oh, and did my nice. did my face up. And I had a boa, a pink boa that I wore <laughs> and the long sleeves, not the long sleeves, the long gloves that she wore. Oh, what so, a great costume. It was a great you costume. Know, now that I think about it, I did a Muppet too. Yep. I did Big Bird. Oh, nice. Yeah, and Mom made that, too. too. I mean, yeah. it was an amazing feat. Yeah. I, I was yeah. amazed at what she had made. Yeah. But the Muppets hold a very important role, I think, in our culture and in uh, cultural statements and in our upbringing. It's really actually not a 
not a surprise if you think about it that one of the Muppets would be an influential character. character. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I look back on those shows now and you know, and I know I'm slightly biased because they were such a large part of my childhood, but think of the stars they had on it. I mean, Ugh, the, the, you know, Brushnikov and, um, you know, just all kinds of, of you know, Elton John, you, you name it. And, you know, the, the stars yeah. of the time were on The Muppet Show. And, and to think that they took the time out to make a kid's show. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to make a kid show and to interact with puppets and it just the, the magic sort of that was the Muppets. And, and they're still doing, I, I really actually love some of the new stuff that they're doing now with the Muppets as well, like they did Bohemian Rhapsody with the, the Muppets and some other things that were really just, you know, sort of taking modern, you know, spins uh-huh. on them and, and keeping true to Jim Henson's vision of what they were. Um, and I haven't, I'm ashamed to say, because I really am a big fan of the Muppets. I still haven't seen the most recent movie, but I, everything I read about it was everybody loved it. So, yeah, it was it was really cute. Yeah, yeah. So it it holds that and sort of continues yeah. with that that you know feeling to it. So I think that that's really important. Have you ever um, seen the documentary Being Elmo? I have not. It's it's in my um, Netflix queue, and I, I've seen several people talking about it. And it's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. So we'll have to check that out. I'll have to make sure to do that. Yeah, it gives you, and who thought you would ever say this statement, but it, it gives you new respect for Elmo. <laughs> Because he definitely, you know, he, he hit a peak, just like with any celebrity. Right. He hit a peak of just absolutely being everywhere. Right. And then he, from there, you take a big fall because then right. everybody tries to trash you. Right, exactly. Exactly. But the, the, the documentary reinstated just some brand new respect for the purpose of that character and who it is. Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah. definitely I have to check that out. And if you've seen it, if you're listening and you've seen it and you want to tell us what you think about it, that would be great. Yeah. So, so Rhonda, all right. So we're up to our, all right, we have our, our seconds and our thirds. So who, who got the number one spot for you? Well, this one is kind of obscure, but I think that's just kind of the way it happens sometimes mm-hmm. in childhood. Um, it's a very individualistic, thing that happens mm-hmm. when uh, some of these characters ring true for you. Right. I don't know if anybody else out there remembers, but there was a character named um, Andrea Thomas who played Isis on The Secrets of Isis. All right. This was actually in the 70s, but it only ran for like one season. Mm-hmm. And it was a Saturday morning show. And it was actually part of another show. Then they spun it off to the secrets of ISIS. And then she just kind of made appearances in other places. But the show itself, I think, ran for only one season. Mm. But when I watch the opening credits again for that show, there is not an inch of those credits that do not touch deeply into my memory Mm. just every inch of it was resonated somehow and I remember Andrea Thomas is actually a high school teacher science teacher that was significant Mm -hmm. and when they show her she is an archaeologist who is actually out digging and for years I wanted to be an archaeologist (laughs) I went through that too but mine was because of Indiana Jones (laughs) yeah she uh to me it was fascinating because she was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. She was just absolutely stunning. And of course they have her, you know, when she's the school teacher, she's in these great big giant glasses with her right. hair pulled back in a ponytail. 
<laughs> but part of it was the fact that she was a real person. Mm-hmm. She had a normal job, even though um, she was a, a science teacher, which was really cool, and that she took that outside of the building. She actually traveled and adventured, and she dug right. this thing up, and she found an amulet that turned her into the goddess Isis. And so the other part of it was super cool because she had this secret identity. Even though she was not born a goddess or born with superpowers, she could become a goddess when necessary. And she always used it in the most helpful situations. She was very observant. She was a very kind person, and she stood up for right and wrong. Mm -hmm. But I... I think that it was just the combination of her being in charge and going out there and doing things. Right. Um, I Another piece of trivia that I didn't know about, which to me probably is the reason part of it hit home with me, besides that great big nice piece of jewelry she wore, um, <laughs> is that that was the first weekly American live television series where the lead character – was a female superhero. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And they made a comment of it, it, it probably directly leading into um, the whole Wonder Woman and the Bionic uh-huh. Woman type stuff. I, I was just thinking the same thing, that, 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 that the similarities of story are, are pretty mm-hmm. powerful between yeah. that and Wonder Woman. So, it, it, yeah. You know, I can't remember much about any of the episodes, but the, the power of that opener of the show at the beginning Mm -hmm. of her everyday life and then her digging up that archaeological dig and then becoming the goddess. It was just, it, it, it it was some, it was what I needed at that time as a, as a child, every bit, every bell rang. Right. Right. I I could see very much how it would resonate for, uh, you know, for you and, and for, for, I think, a lot of women are a lot of girls because we would have been girls at the ages we were watching these things who who want to sort of go against those you know those stories were told and those narratives that were you know explicitly or implicitly told we need to do mm-hmm. this is how you need to le- lead your life and here's somebody who is you know a character who's a science teacher which like you said, is significant just in that, but also has this ability to to travel and adventure. And to become the goddess and, and that other that other identity. And we all have those other identities. That's part of what you know, part of what drove the research that I did for, for, for Game on Girl. We all have those identities and we all shape them. And so that the goddess being that sort of powerful self-realized identity, I think is a really important metaphor that, that we tend yeah. to skip over a lot of the time. So actually, yes, that's I mean, I'm, gl- I'm glad you put it that way because I think, it, it's not the idea that she could become a goddess as right. in, you know, oh, I want to be a princess. Right. It was the fact that she had control and she could make choices that right. mattered. Right, exactly. She, she was able to institute her convictions. Right, right. And act on them and support them and, and act out of goodness and kindness and, and all mm-hmm. the things that go along with all of that. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, especially... In that era, the the amount of power a woman had to actually make some of these things happen, to make mm-hmm. the the right decisions, and to and to cause ethical and moral changes, yeah. were, were very limited. Right. 
And to be able to see a woman who could actually make that happen uh, made me feel empowered. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that there's, there's no more powerful thing a hero can do Mm -mm, than, than make you feel like you or a a hero or a leader of any kind can do than make you feel empowered about how you're going to live your life and how you're going to make your choices. And I just want to remind everybody, if you, if you happen to look it up, I just want to warn you, it was a Saturday morning child's program. Mm -hmm. This is not a a weekly series like the Bionic Woman or anything like that. So it's, it's very much geared to sort of like the after school special kind of thing. So whether, yeah, whether it was a public service, it wasn't a public service announcement, but it was, you know, always a teaching moment on right. Saturday morning. Right. Yeah, exactly. Taking but that one worked. Time. Yeah. And yeah. it was very forward thinking, obviously. 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 Yeah. That's great. Okay. So what is your number one? <laughs> <laughs> well, our number ones have a lot in common. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to put, put out there is I was very, very, very young when I watched these. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was such a wee, wee little thing. <laughs> I have a wonderful memory from when I was, you know, yes. practically so, an infant. <laughs> so, yes, what do ours have in common? Um, well, my number one is Wonder Woman. Oh, awesome. Yes, and uh, Wonder Woman holds a very special sort of place and special role in my life as as an icon, just as much as, you know, mm-hmm. a TV character or a, a, a character on a show. I I can't I think I can't remember Rhonda did I tell the story uh, about my mom my mom loving to tell the story about my Wonder Woman underwear have I told that story I can't no, remember I don't think so. if I have I don't I don't but remember you, know, you have to tell it now. I have to tell it now <laughs> so I well I loved to watch Wonder Woman when I was a kid and everybody knows Wonder Woman underoos and the whole like you know that whole thing from the seventies of you know kids wearing the superhero underwear. And so I, I had a had a fall. I fell down our back stairs uh, when I was about five years old. I was in kindergarten. I ended up needing to get stitches in my in my head from uh, from the fall. I had hit my head on a, a rock, and I had you know anyway. I had to go to the emergency room and get stitches. And my mom was there with me, and uh, the nurse came in, you know, and she, she shaved, you know, my hair and cleared it out so that they could do the stitches. And when she went out and she knew the doctor was going to be coming in next, she said to me, I know you can be strong when the doctor comes in because you're wearing your Wonder Woman underwear. Aww. And when anybody asks my mom to tell a story from my childhood, <laughs> this is the story that she tells. <laughs> Well, that was just really sweet of the nurse to mm. help pep you up that way. Oh, no, this is my mom said that. Oh, your mom. Yeah. Oh, well, that was nice. Yeah, this is what my mom said to me. I know you can be strong because you're wearing your Wonder Woman underwear. And uh, to help sort of, uh, you know, uh, calm me down. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so she said that. And she loves to tell the story. She loves to tell the story. And um, she, she's told it many times. And over the years, because she has told this story so many times, I have um, gathered quite a collection of Wonder Woman paraphernalia. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say underoos. <laughs> I actually do have Wonder Woman underwear, um, a, an adult set of Wonder Woman underwear now. But I have a cookie jar that I got for a significant aged birthday and 
<laughs> I have uh, books and I have um, stationery and I have stickers and I have lunch boxes and I have sippy cups for kids. I mean, I have I have lots of Wonder Woman stuff and I have I have now purchased for myself. Very rarely do I buy things for myself that are Wonder Woman, but I did actually buy Wonder Woman boots for myself. Oh, that are pretty cool. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah, they're they are they're pretty spiffy. I would I would love if I wish they were like exercise shoes so I could wear them when I was dancing because that would be really awesome. Anyway, so 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 she sort of came to symbolize for me that um, that identity of taking on the strength, kind of like you were saying with Isis becoming the goddess. Um, or, you know, the, the science teacher turning into the goddess, you know, um, Diana turned into Wonder Woman, even though that was her natural state was really that who right. she was, that Amazon and the strength and the power that she had. But that's always been a symbol for me of um, strength and perseverance and, you know, doing what was right because you needed to do it. And that was the choices that you made leading into that. So so she's always been that same that same icon for me. And she was part of what inspired the dissertation research, which is why I thought I might have told the story before I had originally thought that I was going to do female heroes for my dissertation. And once I got into the dissertation, into the PhD program, I realized that there was already a lot written about female heroes and not as much written about female gamers. And that was one of the reasons why I sort of arced off that way. But I don't think I knew that. Yeah, that was the original, the original research was going to be on female heroes. So well, you know, Linda Carter herself mm-hmm. was a great role model. Yeah, she is. She is. And she continues to be. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. And and part of what I like about that, too, is that she was a beauty queen. Yes, she was. It, it just expanded the idea of what a woman was. It's exactly. like, yes, I'm a beauty queen. Yes, exactly. And I'll kick your ass. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And for me, the progression of, of my sort of, of heroes in that vein Wonder Woman was inspired by Rosie the Riveter. So, right. Uh, William William Marston, who wrote Wonder, the first Wonder Woman stories, was inspired by the Riveters who are going back and the women who were going in to support the war effort in World War II. So then we have Wonder Woman. And for me, one of the next, another one of my sort of more recent, who I couldn't really put in like classic TV, but uh, Buffy was an, an inspiration that sort of came out of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of see all the like links in terms of how our, how our heroes have kind of evolved and and changed over the years. So, you know what I see kind of in common with all of these is an attitude of doing. Mm-hmm. There's there's not uh, picketing. There's not marching. There's not right. It's not just voice. They are in situations where they can actually do something. It's so they just do it exactly, and they influence by practicing mm-hmm. exactly um, taking their opportunities seeing what they actually have Mm -hmm. and putting it on the line. I mean, especially like with Samantha. Yes. uh, The role probably that's the most, unless you're a child, like Mm -hmm. Will Robinson or Wes, who's in an adult situation. Right. um, Samantha's a housewife. Yep. And in suburbia. Yes. Uh, No big adventures or anything, but she still demands her choice. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and yeah. let her voice be heard. Exactly. And she puts all that out there for that and, and how important it is for her family and, and the choices that she makes to help and support yeah. that idea as I, well. I just, thinking about it in these terms, I just, I just really respect these women mm-hmm. and the writers and producers who 
thought enough at the time to begin to let these strong women creep in. Exactly. Whatever it, it took to get them on the air, right? Uh, they they got the foot in the door and they knew how to do it. And we we just really respect the idea that they did that for us. Exactly, exactly. For, for you and me and and for all the other little girls out there. Exactly. And we'd love to hear from you guys what your what your favorite heroes were from from your childhood, the characters that you identified with and why. So please let us know what you're thinking, or if you want to critique any of our choices. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we, we love the feedback. So, Absolutely. yeah, let us know. And but, like I said, all of these have got some serious flaws as far as some of the images of women, but mm. uh, they were forerunners. Exactly. We're happy for them. Yeah, you have well, to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the Game on Girl podcast. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me at Rogue Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M on Twitter. And my tech blog is droolonthefrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. And for this episode, you can bet I'm going to be putting clips up of all of our heroes. So <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> you better check them all out. You can also leave comments and feedback through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or email us at regina at gameongirl.com. You can also check us out and like us on Facebook at Game on Girl Podcast. This podcast is recorded with Audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, game on.